Have you guys ever seen the Luxor Casino in Las Vegas? Or maybe you've seen pictures of it or seen it in a movie or something like that. Uh, it's the one that looks like this giant black pyramid. Um, so it's got, it's kind of this Egyptian themed casino, right? It's got a sphinx out front and the front doors are right between its paws. Uh, it's got those giant uh, sandstone looking brown statues, tan statues, some of them human bodies with uh, the Egyptian, uh, what, animal head god things, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's got this Egyptian theme and lots of people come to this casino because it's got this unique architecture. But, but the most characteristic thing about the Luxor Casino is not its Egyptian theme. It's not that you're like inside a building and you can see it all like sloping towards the, the point. It's a light. The, the biggest draw to the Luxor Casino is the Luxor Sky Beam. And it is the world's strongest beam of light. It's actually 39, I think, 39 lamps uh, shaped by lenses and mirrors to shoot directly straight up into the night sky. And it's got a power of, I gotta get the number right here, 42.3 billion candle light. Um, it's so powerful that it's visible from about 275 miles away. Uh, pilots flying over Los Angeles, California use it as a landmark. And so when you have something that puts out that much light and that much heat, it can have some unintended consequences. I was listening to some interviews with the people who designed and built the Luxor Sky Beam, and you get the impression that none of them had ever like, sat on a porch or had a campfire before, because they were totally shocked that if they, as they, they shined this most powerful beam of light in the world into the sky, every single moth in the city of Las Vegas was drawn to it. <laughs> and so as, as, they, as they watched, they turned it on and millions and millions of moths swarm and just swirl inside this beam of light that shoots up into the night. And the thing is, when you draw millions of moths, other things are gonna be attracted to it as well. What likes moths? Bats. Thousands of bats swoop in and out of the Luxor sky beam every night to feed on the all-you-can-eat buffet of moths that it's drawn there. Well, and, and, and things eat bats too. Owls are drawn to the Luxor sky beam to, to feast on the flocks of bats that are feasting on the swarms of moths. This light, has drawn an entire ecosystem to itself. And that's to say nothing of the tourists that come to birdwatch and spend money in the casino and stay there. God has designed his church to be a little bit like the Luxor sky beam. Not attracting bugs and bats and birds, although sometimes we can't help it, but attracting people. But the tool that he gives us to attract people to himself, to the church, is not light. It's not height. He doesn't tell us to go out and build the second most powerful beam of light on top of a story's tall cross. He doesn't tell us to go build our church steeples as tall as we possibly can so that they're visible from miles around. He gives us a different light. The light of the news 
about what he does, about his faithfulness to his people, about the promises he keeps. And that news, that light that he gives us, that's what we call the gospel. See, believers have known from the very beginning that that gospel light was theirs to shine into the world, that, that, was, that they were to be beacons of God's gospel in the world. And so they've written it down and spoken it and spread it from the very beginning. And so it's not surprising that when the first permanent church building was dedicated, that would be on the mind of the man who made it happen. King Solomon was the man behind the building of the first temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And when he had gotten all the craftsmen to get it all done, put it together, he gathered all the people of Israel to be there for the dedication service when he would bring the Ark of the Covenant, that that symbol of God's presence with his people, into its permanent home. And after it had been set in the most holy place and the kavod Adonai, the glory of the Lord, that shining cloud that symboled that God was there with his people, after that had filled the temple, Solomon stood in front of that building he had constructed and he said a prayer. In this prayer, he prayed that God would keep his promises to his people, that he would watch over them, that he would look on them with favor, that he would protect them, that he would be their God of grace. All things that God had promised. But then nestled in amongst those prayers about God's promises to his people was another one that was a little bit different. And it's recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 8. There's a little bit of context here, but then we'll jump into what Solomon prayed. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. And then he prayed a bunch of things uh, about God's promises to his people. And then he went on to say this. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name. For they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. This is God's word. So what Solomon was saying is that even though this temple, even though this building was built by Israelite hands with or in Israelite territory, it was not built just for Israel, but for people everywhere. It would attract people from all over the world, not with light, not with height, but with the gospel. Or as he put it, with the news of God's great name and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. All the gracious things that God had done and would do for his people. That would draw people from all over the world to worship their God and ours. The temple was built in Jerusalem, yeah. 
but it was for people everywhere. That's true of foundation, too. It's built here in Falcon. God has built it here in Falcon. You have heard of his great name and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, how he flexed his muscle, not in cosmic acts of power, but by taking on the very nature of a servant in the person of Jesus. You've seen how he defeated, crushed his enemies and yours, sin, death, and the devil, by submitting to death on a cross. You see how his hand is, his arm is stretched out not to smite those who disobey and defy him, but to open his hand and give his one and only son and unlock the gates of heaven to all who believe, to you. Yeah, God has built you here and he continues to build you here, gathering you around his word and sacraments, adding more stones to the foundation that is Christ Jesus through baptism adults and child alike, coming to you, giving himself to you in the Lord's Supper, that body and blood that he gave for you on the cross to take away all your sins. He sticks you together with the mortar of his Christian love and fellowship that he gives to you. Yeah, this is a special place where God has built you together into his church, his temple here on earth, and he lives here among you in his means of grace and in your hearts, in faith. But God didn't just build you here for the people already inside your walls. He built you here in Falcon for people everywhere. He made you to be gospel beacons in the world, in your community and to the ends of the earth. And here, just because of the kind of church that you are, you have a special special uh, focus on that, being a mission church, being a, a place that's meeting in a rented facility. You, you know what it's like to be focused on bringing that gospel message to the people in your everyday lives through your own life and through the work of the church as well. But that doesn't mean it's always easy, does it? We get in our, way, in our own ways a lot more than we would like. We can just be really short-sighted, can't we? I see that a lot in my own life. Um, maybe the one that I think about the, more, mo- the most often is just in keeping contact, keeping in contact with people. Um, it's now just over a year since I graduated from seminary, uh, and I had some great friends that I went to school with for some of them for 12 years went to school with them. And, you know, they were in my wedding and we were just, we would always be talking, bouncing ideas off each other, really close friends. In the last year, since we've all spread to our different places, our different churches across the country, do you know how many times I've talked to one of them? I have called two of the, of the guys who were in my wedding once each. We just get so caught up with the things that are in front of us, the things that we see, the the daily problems, the people that are in our lives every single day, that if someone is out of sight, sometimes they're just out of mind as well. Sometimes we can be short-sighted about our church as well, can't we? 
We get so caught up in the things that are going on right in front of us, the things that we are busy with, the things that we have to do, that they can start to obscure what the real mission of God's church is. It starts to become about the worship and the worship style and the pastor and the preaching and the meetings and all the things that go on that have something to do with church and the mission can get clouded. I know I struggle with that gospel short-sightedness sometimes too. And I think a lot of it springs from this sinful nature in me. Uh, The sinful nature that cares first and foremost about itself, about being comfortable for itself, about having things the way I want it. Do you know what I mean? I think we all do. It's part of being a sinful human being in a sinful world. Uh, Having all the influence around us, having this, this thing inside of us that just fights against God's purpose for my life and for his church, that short-sightedness, that, that me-centeredness, that, that's a sin. That's a sin that I need to repent of. So do you. It's a sin that we need God's forgiveness for. But thank God for his great name, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm that sent Jesus to die for our sins. Because when he looks at us, even when our priorities are not lined up with his, he sees that sin covered over with Jesus' blood. Uh, we, he sees us dressed in his robe of righteousness. He, he comes to us in his body and blood and cleanses away our sins. He, he reminds us of our baptism where he came and changed who we are, where he washed away our sins and changed us so we're not just self-centered, self-righteous sinners. We are beacons of his gospel in this world. And it's amazing the power of the gospel when we let it shine out in our lives, in our churches. This congregation, as I'm sure many of you are aware, is a a member of a nationwide, worldwide church body. Uh, And have you guys heard the opportunities that have been granted to us all the way across the world in Vietnam? This congregation, along with others across the country and across the world, have been letting God's gospel light shine. And what happened was there was a, a Hmong pastor in one of our sister churches who wrote... Hmong sermons and posted them online. And there is a Vietnamese church body with over 100,000 members whose leaders read some of those, serv- so those sermons and thought, this is what we've been missing. This is the great name, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm of our God who, that, that shows itself, that, who works powerfully through his gospel. This is the pure word of God. We want more of this. And so those leaders reached out to the leaders of our church body and inquired, how could we get training in this grace-filled gospel that you preach? And now, with the backing of the communist Vietnamese government, they've invited us to come and build a seminary and training center for the leaders of that church body to 
beam that gospel light out into the country of Vietnam and God willing, all of Southeast Asia as well. That's an amazing opportunity that God dropped into our laps. That's an amazing thing that God worked through his powerful gospel that he has given to us. But it doesn't take a synod-wide, church-body-wide effort and millions of dollars to build a training facility in Vietnam to be a church that is built, yes, here, but for people everywhere. In fact, it's not even really all that difficult, is it? Because it's what God has built us to be. He has worked in you to build you together into this church. And then he's given you the very thing that he used to bring you together, that powerful gospel, he's put it in your hands and said, here, use it. This is your mission as a Christian and as a church. So our God has built you into his temple here in Falcon. And I know that so far it may, be, it may have seemed pretty easy to be this beacon of light in your community just with the kind of church that you are but with changes that will eventually come. Uh, keep that focus. That's what I pray for you. I, I pray that you keep the focus to always be a beacon of God's light in this community and in the world because that's what God has made you to be. That's what he's built you to be. And he'll continue to work in that gospel. And even as you come into a permanent, permanent facility, even as you come into church structures and programs and things that you didn't have before, he will continue to work in his gospel to move your hearts to share his gospel light in everything you do. I pray that that's true. I pray that you keep that as your first priority as a church as well. May God continue to work in and through you. Amen.